Hello and welcome to the Lively Faith Podcast. I am your host, the Reverend Nathan Stomberg, Rector of Holy Communion Anglican Church in East Greenwich, Rhode Island, and today I'm joined by my co-host, the Reverend Mark Galloway. Before we get started, we would love to stay in touch with you. Why not click the link in the description and join our email list? We'll send you occasional emails about new episodes and other important updates, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Mark, did you know at the time of this recording, we have over 5,000 downloads, over 600 regular listeners, and counting. So thank you for your help, Mark, and thank all of you, dear listeners and viewers, for your support, and we thank God for his continued blessings. So today, believe it or not, is our 12th episode. It's going wow. to release on the one-year anniversary of Lively Faith, and all glory be to God for sure. And I want to take some time to reflect on that. So I want to start by just looking back at some of our favorite moments and topics we've discussed. So, Mark, I'm going to ramble on for a few minutes about some of my favorite moments. And if you've taken any joy from (laughs) listening to me drone on and on in the last 12 months, feel free to share what's come to mind. I think the facts are the opposite, but (laughs) I'll do that. As for one of my favorite things, I've really, there's a few favorite moments for me. Talking about generational differences, and I think that's something that's really resonated with our audience as well. It's something that we don't really think too much about, but just how different different generations see the world, looking at the world through a different lens. Even just the way we approach topics, I think it's come about on this show. And the topics that come to mind are just so different between what is at the top of your mind versus what's at the top of my mind. And then the different ways in which we're able to engage on those topics. I think a perfect example of that, the favorite moment of mine, is trying to explain cryptocurrency to you or artificial intelligence. It's like I'm speaking in a different language to you. It was. And at the same time, when you're telling me about rural Exeter in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, that's not even a world I ever would have right. imagined right. being part of the Rhode Island experience. So I don't know if you picked up on anything similar to that. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think it was, it was uh, for both of us, it was startling to some extent, wasn't it? Yeah. About, um, and I think it's exa- it's been exasperated the the generational changes with social media, and uh, from I'm, I'm the last of the baby boomers. You're like a middling millennial, right? I am on the cusp at the end of the millennial right, generation. So, I would consider myself a late millennial. So we're like a generation and a half apart. Yeah, by um, those artificial standards and. Yeah, and we're shaped by experience, and I think that's what just keeps being reiterated to me uh, in these conversations. And um, I don't think, I I know they don't go on enough where there's just cross-fertilization between these generations about a whole plethora of topics. And so instead of having rational and... um, certainly peaceful conversation about issues and certainly in the socio-political realm, they become this endless confrontational um, counterpunch fight where the, the goal is just victory, not actually understanding 
where the generations are at on certain issues. And uh, We care so much more about victory and being right over being able to have a dialogue. Right. right. Even if we know we're not right, as long yeah. as we think we've triumphed in the uh, battle, if you will, or, or of crushing our uh, older or younger generational opponent than scoring points yeah it's it's probably ungodly and immature but it it's it, it you don't have to go far you every day when you listen to diatribe on social media radio television cable wherever you get your information you see these strategies just employed with really no logical uh strategy to the conclusion other than gaining points and more viewers and more sponsorship and it's a very sick system, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's certainly unwell. And going back to what you were just saying, the rate of technological change has definitely exacerbated the differences between generations. So I don't know that if you were to go back even 100 years, let's say 200 years, you wouldn't see as many distinct life style changes i think but from one generation to the next and and maybe you did to some extent certainly after the industrial revolution but with the rate of change of technology things are adapting and changing so fast that we've already moved on to the next thing before we've right. even understood that's the right. previous thing that's right i think i had a i had a, a priest colleague friend we were good friends he was he wasn't a lot older than me um i would say he was 15 years older than me, somewhere between 10 and 15 years. And and this was before the uh, avant-garde of, of social media. We both were working with primitive computers early in our priesthoods and all that type of stuff. But he was a Vietnam uh, generation child, and I was a Reagan mm-hmm. kid. And But those things shaped completely our views of, mm-hmm. of the world and our understanding of social politics at the time. This would have been in the, the mid-90s. And uh, so it wasn't driven by social media, but it was driven by the generation we came to to uh, maturity and certainly to age in. And so as, as a Reagan kid and a, a person who had Reagan conservative values, uh, that didn't mesh with him, even though we had... We were both on the orthodox side of issues mm. within the denomination and stuff. So they were there, but they're not, they, they're not as deep as they were, and they're not infiltrated by all this false information coming through social media that yeah. you get today. So I think your challenges, both up and down in generational conversations, are just much more um, difficult than... I would have been having at your age, 29, you know, 30 years ago. There's no doubt in my mind. About that. And I'm even just thinking about how different life itself looks from generation to generation. Like if you were to go back to, and maybe this is just historical ignorance on my part, but if I think about, well, someone growing up in 1710 versus growing up in 1740, let's say, how I'm certainly there were changes that they would have thought would be radical between those three decades. But on when you zoom out and look at it on a historical scale, life really up until the Industrial Revolution was 
largely the same as it had been. Right. No, that's right. And I mean, take that 30 year window. Um, you, you were colonial, um, subjects of the crown, nothing really agricultural society. There was very little change at all to anything. Um, Heck, 30 years is an eternity now, right, in the change. I mean, as we just, we're going to discuss in this podcast, just from your first conversation with me about artificial intelligence to now, which is, what, five months ago, maybe, or something like that? It's, it's, already, yeah. it's already moved a meteoric distance. Right. Right. So it's just, it's just other. It's, it's other. Than... And even hundreds of years ago, 1710 to 1740, you hit 30, you were practically an old man at that point, or approaching it anyway. Yeah, well, life, well, life, life expectancy. expectancy. Wait, what, 50? Yeah. Somewhere in that range. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. But we were just talking before we started recording. Perfect microcosm of this is trying to get your prescription filled. You think about yes. elderly people, older people, and the frustrations that they have to face with a changing healthcare landscape and rapid changes in technology, like you were just saying, 40, 50 years ago, or for 40 or 50 years, you could just go walk down the street, go to the pharmacy, hand them the money, and they would give you your prescription. Maybe right. there was some basic insurance, obviously, to go through, but nowadays you go up there and Either they can't fill it, there's some new obscure requirement, and you have to go and talk to a robot on the phone. Right, which is what happened to me this week. But I'm such a premature fossil that I, I still I still bring the expired, <laughs> uh, what do you call it, container with me. I'm in, I was there two days ago, and she goes, you're the only person who does this, <laughs> in, including people much older than myself. I said, well, I don't want to... I don't want to advance too yeah. quickly into, <laughs> yeah. into modernity. <laughs> but yeah, it took, um, I couldn't even do it. Uh, it was, they wouldn't, my insurance company wouldn't accept uh, the prescription, even though I had gotten it the month before and it was a Parkinson's prescription. And I'm like, what's the deal? You got to call this number. And I knew my brain was already starting to fry just thinking mm-hmm. about it. So, so my wife did it last night as the savior, but it, it took her, two and a half hours, which would means it would have taken me at least two and a half weeks. Yeah. If I didn't jump off the top of the roof before I finished, <laughs> right. finished um, doing it. It reminds me of an interesting conversation I was listening to just yesterday, actually. I was listening to Pints with Aquinas, and they were discussing how technology, artificial intelligence especially, but elements of our technology have taken away our agency and our volition in a sense that we listen to narratives online and we listen to media, it replaces our internal monologue. But also, if you think about trying to call someone at a call center or a support center on the phone, there's no practical difference between yelling at the phone, at the robot on the phone, trying to speak to a real person and speaking to the real person themselves because the person at the call center now is limited to that same script, which is really just pre-programmed into the AI. And they're limited to, well, you can give you option A or option B. And even though we have the real answer to what you're looking for, 
somewhere within this call center. Obviously, someone must know how to fill my prescription. We can't give you that information because the script doesn't point me that way. Right. I, I think for Christians, we can break it down even to much more simpler things, right? Uh, a retired priest friend of mine is living in Dallas, and he was visiting uh, relatives in Pittsburgh this week. And um, he, he had sent me a text about something. And then I said, I'll give you a call. He goes, no, he goes, I'll, I'll, I'll call you when I get back to Dallas. Well, when he got back to Dallas, he texts me. So we ended up with this like 10 minute texting going back and forth. And I thought about it yesterday is that, you know, texting just isn't the same as conversing with somebody. We, so even us believers, we, we we're, it's like, we're asleep. We're not realizing what we're losing all the time. When right. you're not hearing your friend's voice, or your loved one's voice, your relative's voice, you're not hearing the nuance in the voice, you're not hearing all of these things that we, by a human instincts, pick up and understand in communication. It's just not there in these cryptic messages that are becoming more acronyms than they are even letters and complete sentences. Yeah. It's, it's, and it just, continues to go in a in the wrong direction at this this constant rate uh, it's just something i picked up just this week thinking about that and i said why can't we call each other on the phone and talk for 10 minutes and and, it, and the actual conversation took twice as long texting than it would have if you just talked to each other on the phone yeah it's a really interesting question to think about right because I think there's probably a couple lies that we've been sold. The first is convenience. We've been told that texting someone is more convenient. But I think a lot of times you can exchange, well, frankly, all of the time, you can exchange much more information verbally in a shorter period of time than you could over text. And unless you're sending bites and chunks of information to someone else, you're really not having a more efficient conversation. No, I suspect. It, it's become, it's sub, I think it's unconscious, but for a, most people, because I don't, most people think even get close to this type of depth intellectually, uh, is that you're actually texting so you can avoid certain information. And so that was the second lie I think we've been sold is that it's better for us to talk to machines than people. I think yeah. we're more comfortable talking to the machine than we are to the human being. Yeah, and absolutely. that allows you to avoid certain pieces of information, but then you also don't have to engage with all the other aspects of that person. You don't right. have to worry about making eye contact or devoting your full attention to them. You don't have to worry about changing the intonation in your voice or trying to end the conversation if you need to move on to something else. So I think there's a whole lot wrapped up into that question. I think, I think it's been a disaster to the pastoral ministry. Uh, 20 years ago, uh, you know, pastors started, you know, their, their parish or congregational blog. So mm. that's how they were going to converse and communicate to the parishioners. And it's a horrific way. And it's, it's shown itself to be horrific because it just doesn't, it doesn't produce quality pastoral care. Mm. And so you, you literally, there's times, I know it's a fact. So pastors end up you know, sending endless emails or texts to X amount of people in their lives and their pastoral flock when they haven't even had a conversation with them one, one or two times in a whole year. How can that possibly be a biblical 
uh, model of, of ministry, mm. right? And certainly not following natural law, right? Yeah. Right. We're we're made to communicate with each other. We're made to commune. Humans, uniquely in all of creation, are meant to do this. And without it, we are less for it. In fact, we are less human all the time when we are not doing this to our fullest capacity. And when not only not doing our fullest capacity, we're doing it to less and less capacity all the time. So it makes us less efficient. Mm and uh, less like the image of God. Yeah. Right? Who wanted to communicate with us so much, he became incarnate. Right. It's, it's a very warped facsimile <clears throat> that we transform ourselves into because as we move closer to commu- community, let's say, or you move closer to technology, you move farther from the image of God because we're remaking ourselves in the image of the God we've created, which resides within the technology itself. Yeah. What percentage of uh, Christians and congregations and parishes, whatever it's called in the particular tradition, are, are still worshiping virtually mm. since the, the COVID pandemic, right? And, the, and certainly even when they've gone back to actual worshiping as a community, they still have this significant percentage of, quote, their family, parish family, who hasn't even been back in the same facility with you, but continues to watch things online. It's not good. (laughs) It's terribly bad, right? And it it just will continue to fracture and and, uh, disintegrate what Christian community is, what koinonia Mm. is all about, right? Mm -hmm. And it certainly... Um, those who belong to liturgical traditions just get further and further separated from the sacramental and grace-filled reality of what community is supposed to be. So, yeah, it's so deep, this conversation. All of this stuff, too, is part of the reason why I'm so grateful to be working back in the office full-time. I have the flexibility to work virtually, and it's nice to have the option for when it's convenient, but it's so much better to interact face-to-face. You can exchange information so much more quickly, and it restores the value to the work that you're doing. You're right. no longer just a widget in a machine, a virtual machine somewhere, exchanging bytes of text over a screen. Now you're back to engaging in real community, which people don't want to admit is an essential part of work and it gives it much more dignity that way. Even from a secular point of view, right? To take the whole Christian Judeo-Christian perspective away from it. It's just bad commerce. It's bad. It's bad for capitalism. It's, it's bad for culture and society, right? You workers will never be as productive when there's nobody watching them. Right. When you're not accountable, when you're not in community working on projects, right? Uh, there's too much dead time. There's, there's, you're paying people for not working for a huge percentage, even if they're telling you they are. It's just not going to be true. So it's uh, it's not good. It's not good for just economic reasons, uh, for the good of the country, the, the psychology of, of the workforce, all of these things. And so there's so much more to it. So it's not just us speaking the theological component of it. There's this massive sociological component yeah. to it that... Um, clearly to me has shown itself to be such a problem 
And, you know, with young people, my brother wanted to, you know, my brother owned several businesses, but hiring, this was a young lady, it could have been any gender, of course, but comes in. And, but this whole point is that, that, he found out she could she couldn't communicate except in like broken sentences mm. and like this cryptic language that she's used to texting and all the other social media things that I don't know about. You keep reminding me that how people communicate. Mm. And he's like, My gosh, she goes, I just I'm just looking for somebody who can communicate with a customer that comes in and then actually can count the change out of the drawer to give back to him. And it's as simple as that, right? Yeah. You can't run the most basic parts of commerce in this country without the ability to communicate and to do it at least with some modicum of decency and um, joy and kindness. <laughs> so it's it's very deep, isn't it? Yeah, it runs, it runs very, very deep. You, you asked, you, so you start with this little question. Right. And all the tentacles it goes on and on, oh, and, on, on. and on and just on just to wrap that train of thought back up i think it's a very productive diversion if we could even call it that is again the rate of change of society is too fast for us to adjust and then Way get our fast. bearings so we again to to rip off <laughs> frat again we don't realize the poverties of these new technologies until they're too late. Yes. All of us. I'm as guilty as anybody yeah, else. Yeah. Not no exception. And, and as you say, I barely know anything about any of it, but, um, but just the texting piece alone, I, I, that, I think that incident with my priest friend in, in Dallas really just kind of hit me. It's like, mm. why are we doing this? I don't even have the answer to that. It's, it just becomes habit. Yeah, I think it would do all of us a lot of good if we, every once in a while, stopped and asked ourselves that question. Yes. So outside of that, the generational differences especially, I've learned a lot about orthodoxy in our conversations with our brother Corey. I mm -hmm. think that was another favorite of mine. That was a part of the Christian experience, let's say, and Christian history that... I certainly was ignorant of, and we received a lot of good feedback from our listeners and viewers, too, that it's really, if you're part of the Western Christian experience, especially in America, the Orthodox experience, the beauty and the fullness of it just totally doesn't enter your purview. And you really just think of it as a, as an icon or play of words. Uh, there's a, a false image in your mind, a, a yeah. caricature. Right, what you think it people it actually is this weird group of people living in an ancient past. Yes, yes, yeah, and I think again from you know my training, both from my because I was interested in it, but we we certainly got more training in Eastern Christianity and and it's comparing and contrasting with Western Christianity and why they divided. Uh, evangelicalism is a tremendous dearth of any, and, and it's not, that's not new. It's been there for a long, yeah. for centuries even. And so, uh, yeah, I think those, from the feedback, those podcasts did resonate with, um, I suspect non-Catholics and non-Anglicans 
yeah to to a significant extent uh like oh these people just aren't weirdos it's, it's like rooted in they go back to the beginning of christianity right right they didn't uh and i think cory does a very fine job and it's charitable that he can say listen we're not the ones who uh, aren't aware of fact and history it's you mm-hmm. <laughs> who aren't yeah. aware of fact and history right other than whenever your history goes back to in your particular denomination which most america post-civil war and certainly the whole non-denominational movement's 50 years old right it's, it's not exactly uh deeply rooted in 2000 years yeah apostolic <laughs> tradition so the one that i i was uh i I was glad, but I'm not surprised about, I think it was our biggest response, certainly at the YouTube level, was why Catholicism matters. Yeah. And, and I think that, that resonated hugely with, I suspect, our Catholic, Roman Catholic brothers and sisters yeah. in Rhode Island. Uh, with, with like cultural facts that they live out every day, but never really connected the dots, that mm. this, is all, this is all reality about living in the most Catholic state in the country and how it's affected everything about jurisprudence, government, policing, local county government, political parties, all of those things, and, and the shadow of, of the Catholic influence on all of Rhode Island, including on the Protestant aspects of it. And so uh, I, I, I was really taken by the Catholic responses to our, like, hey, I... You know, I was like, it was like Rip Van Winkle woke up or something from. Yeah, I, I appreciate episodes like that where the audience on YouTube engages with us. We had a few positive comments there. There's always spam and negative comments that pop up too. But episodes like that in particular, you get a few people who stumble upon the video and they reach out and they say, wow, I really enjoyed this. I look forward to listening to it. Sometimes they subscribe. So you can tell when it strikes a chord right. in a new audience. Right. And actually, that, that was our most um, ripe sociological demographic to have uh, hit a topic on, I think, yeah. in the last year. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So one-year anniversary we're going through. We're looking at the highlights. What else has surprised you? this year it could be with a podcast it could be outside of the podcast think about the span of time that we've covered recording these episodes i'll i'll start so you can have some time to think about that for one i think just the success and the reception of the show and the new relationships that have been able to form because of it obviously it's all god's doing but i started really with no grand designs for my own pride let's say mm-hmm. i'm sure that's always hidden under the surface but thank god i think he's protected me from that so it was never for self aggrandizement it was always just to make the most effective and efficient use of my time and talents and if god saw fit to use it then more the glory to him right so with the audience that we've seen and it continues to grow and how well it's been received, it's been massively encouraging. And I thank God for that and continue to thank him for it. 
Yeah, I mean, all this technology, like just setting up, Josh, all the stuff you just did for the last hour to get ready for this. Yeah. I mean, the whole the whole thing, the whole melu of all of this technology, and it's all amazes to, amazing to me, you know, and that it's a whole venue and um, avenue of sharing what's most important in our lives, the gospel, in, in a way... When I was your age, 29-year-old priest, we couldn't have even comprehended that it would ever exist, right? It was, um, I was just getting my first computer in our parish when I was 20, <laughs> 29 years old, right? It was really a glorified um, word processor as much as anything else. So, yeah, that, I think the thing that strikes me most and is most surprising or most jolting more than surprising is that even though we're in our 12th episode is that how quickly and always we're behind the curve in information it's just you know when we talk beforehand with each upcoming episode and as our viewers know maybe don't know we already have two in the hopper that's already going yeah. to be going so uh, they'll be hearing something we taped two months ago or whatever when it gets on uh, on YouTube or wherever is that there's already incredible events in the course of history in the church and social politics uh, that have happened since we met last. And, you know, when you're designing this show and we're discussing it with Corey and I, like, where do we, how do we even sift through what to talk about? Yeah. And then when we get two or three months ahead, you know, I'm like, wow, we should have hit this and we didn't, but yeah, obviously we're not clairvoyant. And so right. I think that's what struck me the most about it, the challenge of doing this ministry is that unless you literally did it every week, you couldn't stay on top of everything. It really gives you an appreciation for those whose job or vocation is to dissect and stay on top of current events like that uh, particularly in the christian sphere it's a lot of work and it is i think that was one thing that i've learned or was also shocking to me or surprising was how much time and effort goes into making a humble show such as this and it's easy to look at someone on youtube or pull up a show and to think oh yeah well i could do that piece of cake and Perhaps you could, but in order to do something well, it takes a lot of time and effort. But going back to what you were just saying, too, it's funny because back in the months before we just started around this time last year when this episode releases, you and I were talking. You were, you were telling me, oh, well, you know, we really got to make sure that we don't run out of topics to discuss. We started out with a, a right. relatively small list, and right. there was some concern there. And I remember telling you, like, just you wait there's well, there's going to be no no you, shortage of things you were right my son about. you were right and now the list grows it feels every month faster right. than what we can talk to so we just have to do our best to discern through prayer as to what the most appropriate topic is at the time well I reflect back on it now it's more like our conversations lots in your training in your early days in the priesthood was about uh about our preaching is that preaching can't be about weekly preaching isn't about staying up with the news 
It's about being faithful to the lectionary and what Mother Church wants us to proclaim to our flock because the Word of God is always relevant. Um, And so I think for people doing podcasts and even people bigger than us, the trad and all these other people that do well is that you just don't become a newsreel. Right. And that's, that's a difficult challenge to stay out of because that's what so much of these uh, internet shows and people are about. They're about riling up like-minded people around political issues. And that's not what we're, our goal is to do that at all. We have to bring those things in to ultimately speak about what we believe the Lord's put on our hearts is that, you know, God in Christ is sovereign. Mm-hmm. He's Lord Absolutely. of all of this stuff. And that his word is eternal. It's, it's not changing. Uh, God's will for the universe hasn't changed. It cannot change. And which is the most countercultural thing we say every single time we gather to give this podcast is that, God, you know, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, all the answers to every dilemma that you're facing in the audience and in your family and the culture, there is already a remedy for it, right? And But fewer and fewer people in our culture by the day believe that. And that's our great challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it was a very wise piece of advice that our brother Corey gave to us early on, that we're not, we have to be aware of becoming a current events reaction podcast. We're not doing that. We want to, for sure, discuss a variety of topics, and current events can be a good teaching tool, but we have to talk about ideas and how ideas relate to the spread of the gospel and the gospel at the core of our lives. Right. And we, we talked about it many times and it's just, this is a true axiom about being an effective preacher, pastor, theologian is that our job isn't to ever tell people what to think, how to think ideologically, politically, socially, how they're supposed to vote. Our job is to inform their moral conscience through the scriptures and the tradition of the church. Yep. That's our job. That's our vocation. That is the vows we took in ordination. It isn't to make them good Democrats or good Republicans or independents or libertarians or any of that stuff. And unfortunately, that's what people want us to do. At least a significant section of them want us to do. It's like, I like what they said about this, but I don't yeah. like what they're saying about that. It's like the whole church's uh, constant social teaching about the poor, mm-hmm. right? D- yes, church and therefore civilization has a moral obligation to the poor. But at the same time, able-bodied people have a moral obligation to work, right? And so there's, there's always this symbiotic balance that Mother Church has to be presenting to a culture that almost never likes either side of the message, right? And our job is to constantly reiterate what the church has taught since the beginning about these things, whether they're sexual mores or work or immigration or the existence of God or grace or whatever it may be, gender roles, all of these things. Um, I, I think the hard thing is you and I are always vulnerable because 
people are going to take it as if it's our opinion as opposed to revealed truth that we're just conveying. Like, oh, no, that's, that's, that's Nathan's right. opinion of what a male is or what a female is. No, it's just what God's revealed what these things are, right? And, um, you know, you just got to have thick skin and get beyond that if you're going to actually be faithful to a calling as a priest or pastor or minister, whatever your tradition is today. And realize you're going to take your lumps in the culture, but that's not, you're, you're supposed to be able to do that. The cross is heavy. And God's going to give us what we need to fulfill our vocation, as he says through St. Paul. So mm. um, a lot of surprises in this ministry. Even after 30 years in ministry before this, yeah, I'm learning, well, you're just learning like a baby again, Mark. So <laughs> that's So it is. Another thing I wanted to touch upon as we reflect on one year of lively faith is actually predictions or a prediction that we made early on when we were talking about artificial intelligence. I think some shows, some people like to try and predict how things are going to happen in the year to come. But as we were discussing artificial intelligence, I was saying how we're going to see this explode and it's going to be an integrated commonplace part of our daily lives before the end of the year. And so here we are at the time of this recording, even before the end of 2023 and artificial intelligence is all over the place. Heck you can't open up a website or any app without an AI chat bot popping up, which by the way, I don't, I don't even, even see the utility of those things. I don't know if anybody ever really uses them, but, it's become the it thing. So you have to integrate artificial intelligence into whatever your product is at this point. Well, it's stunning to me because you're the one who, uh, who obviously had the acumen around that topic when we were dealing with it and your predictions were right and more and beyond. Right. Mostly I just had my mouth open with flies coming out of it. Yeah. I didn't, <laughs> it was all just new information to me, but it is incredible just in just uh, a relatively minor purview every once in a while about artificial intelligence it's how much it's permeated our lives in the last five months is again it's stunning to me it's just stunning the technology has advanced to the point now we were talking about image generation and text generation now, video generation is really that next horizon, and I think within within the centers of development, within the companies that artificial intelligence is being developed, they're already well on their way Absolutely. to really sophisticated artificial video generation where you can input a prompt via text and have it generate a totally new video for you based on what you tell it. And it's devious. And I do remember that at the end of that recording, I went back and watched it a couple of weeks ago, anticipating trying to look somewhat intelligent today, was that I did say that like all uh, advancements in technology, when it was nuclear power, you know, everything can be used for good or evil. Right. And I, I maybe did you see that this week? So this whole like artificially intelligent, produced Bible. Uh, I didn't 
Yeah, I didn't see like that. not in Bible, but like Jesus said this. And, oh, I did see that. And then it's all like of a sudden, an, people are quoting it and using it. It's like, an app, right? And you can talk yeah, to right. characters and, and, of the Bible. And they Bible. actually think this is part of sacred deposit. And so they're arguing with these other people why you're wrong about, mm-hmm. of course, all the predictable issues in our culture. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So you're going to have just millions of people who have never read the scriptures, right? But we'll talk to their app mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, unre- uh, Jesus that never existed is going to tell him this, and it's going to sound in perfect Elizabethan English even, right? Yeah. And they're going to believe it. And that's how much harder and more difficult it's going to be to sift through all of that to get to the real truth. Yeah. Right? And it's exactly how the devil works, of course, right? It's to, uh, it's, so that, that struck me this week, and that's just one little tiny example. Yeah. Never mind all how you... You know, my wife, being a chair of nursing at Allen College, how many students are cheating, and mm. right from just last year, what they had to think about what was going on is like, and then all the checks and balances, trying to figure out how are you going to ever stay up and ahead of what actually a student's going to produce. I don't think you're going to. You're going to need technology to assist you in that. It's like like anything else. Where Which technology can be used and blah, for good or bad, blah, 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 but yeah, blah, blah. It'll, it'll increase costs because it's really then you're going to have an industry of like police. It's like policing, or it's like cyber crime versus cybersecurity. You're going to be in an arms race, like anything else, between technologies used to forge work or to cheat, and technologies using artificial intelligence in order to detect cheating. It was the same concern. As with Photoshop, when Photoshop first came out, being able to develop technology to tell whether or not an image was genuine or not. And so all those same conversations continue. It's, but there's nothing new under the sun. It's a false god, right? And so this is uh, the evil one's newest adventure into projecting a false god, right? Um it's no different to those who sat on the top of the Tower of Babel and thought they had conquered God, right? And it's just the next chapter. The next chapter, yeah. Except the chapters, the chapter, the pages flip over in the chapters so fast now, as opposed to in the past, you know? Yeah. It might take a week to get through a chapter. Now you get through a chapter in 3.6 seconds or something. Yeah, you're just opening the book and flipping through the pages. Right. On the flip side of that coin, not so much a prediction that we made, but maybe reality bearing its ugly head is with cryptocurrency i think when we released the episode talking about cryptocurrency it was really at its peak Mm. it was just before the edge of the cliff let's say and all of the topics that we talked about with regard to easy money and the edifice of cryptocurrency being a facade has all come to bear since then those valuations have come crumbling down. You see by the month, by the week, even new people being outed in terms of fraud, because at the end of the day, so much of it, if not all of it was a giant Ponzi scheme, just segmented between different types of digital currency. So while we never made a prediction about what cryptocurrency was or wasn't going to become natural law and nature human nature 
continue to bear themselves out with right. predictable consequences. So Bitcoin's not going to replace the American dollar as the international currency? Not, no, not anytime soon. Right. And uh, I can remember a conversation with a, somebody we know well's um, brother. Boy, he had, eight or nine years ago, was putting, he was convinced that that was going to be the future. And wrong. Yeah. <laughs> wrong, right? But again, you know, you, you think about that. We, I think we talked about it. You're talking about Bitcoin isn't even real money. It's not backed by anything or any government or anything. So how is that ever logically going to really change the course of There's no international commerce? No, yeah, no store of real value. And again, there were there were some intelligible arguments that were made for it. But unless you had a large scale, widespread adoption of it, with everyone collectively buying in, it's never going to replace anything. Well, the average schmo working the mill is never going to be doing that, right? Right. Risking his marginal life subsistence already on Bitcoin wasn't going to be part of that reality. So, you know, the beautiful people get ahead of themselves, don't they? And it bites them in the derriere. And rightfully so. (laughs) Yeah. So enough about the predictions. I also was reflecting on what I've learned about podcasting, touched upon this. I was interested, especially from your <laughs> your wise, tenured perspective, Mark, what you've learned about podcasting. For me, it was definitely the setup we experienced that in force today. Our fearless producer, Josh, helped see us through the storm. But beyond the setup work, I think it's just... You need backup plans to your backup plans to your backup plans. We were just saying how every month when we meet to record, there's always a new, totally unique problem that crops up with the technology. And just when you think you have it all figured out, well, it's something else. Oh, the video isn't coming through. The audio isn't coming through. Oh, you forget to plug something in. It's all part of the process. What I've learned is like, whatever, let's say... Pick whoever, uh, the most erudite, effective communicator preacher. If we had Fulton Sheehan here or Dr. Graham, Adrian Rogers, whoever you want from the last 50 years of great men who have preached the gospel from their tradition, uh, they'd all be as dumb as I am sitting here. The only, the only way they could do it, A, they would have more resources, but be as if they actually went out and recruited all the help of younger generations of the acumen, uh, the desire, the knowledge to do this. Um, there's, there's no 60-year-old rookie who's going to step in and be able to do what you and Josh just did. Mm. Forget it. Because it would take a full-time job to learn how to do it. Like yeah. My learning curve would take forever. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 60. I'd be 70 before I figured <laughs> out what would be 10-year-old technology. Mm. right? So, it, it, yeah, to me... What you've learned is actually um, substantial and actually has cause and effect. What I've learned is just how dumb I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there's another thing I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. It's like, how uh, come nobody is interested when I'm interested in? <laughs> <laughs> Where'd everybody go? Oh, yeah, right. Nathan <laughs> and Josh are talking nonsense again. Exactly. And, um, but there's something refreshing about that too. But it, it's also it takes humility, and yeah. uh, and 
that um, we all reach a Peter principle in, in these areas of our lives, right? And so, um, I, mean, I mean, I'm old for you guys, but it's not like I'm, uh, I'm not 100, right? I mean, I was in grad school at Yale 30 years ago, but I was still in a bait. I'd go to the basement of the library at Yale with just, and look up all the information mm. in old books and write them on note paper. That's mm. that's how I went to grad school. Yeah, right. And that's thirty years ago. So it's not we're not talking nineteen twenty. You know, or I was hanging out with Abraham Lincoln. You know, yeah. It's it nineteen ninety two. I was there. So, um, but the humility is for whether you're in the ministry or any industry is that realizing you can. It's not about your intelligence. It's about where you're born in time and space and yep. what your experiences. And if you can't come to the realization there's people more and more talented than you and better than you at areas, especially in Christian ministry, you're not going to be an effective leader. You know, that was my true when I was a bishop or as a priest or as a rector as you are now. Uh, as, as technology improved and I had multiple staff people, I had priests that were much better at areas of ministry than mm-hmm. me. Uh, I think a, a gift God gave me was to be able to see that they had those areas that were better than me and let them do it. There's the guys that just can't do that. They have this, they need to think they're better or smarter than that. We've met people, you and I have come. Oh, yes, we have. And, and uh, we've battled with them, but they have to be the smartest guy in the room about everything. And the only thing I'm the smartest guy in this room right now is baseball statistics. <laughs> That's it. That's all I'm the smartest guy about, right? And I think you have to be able to use humor that way if you're going to be effective in sharing what's best for the common good and for the body of Christ. Uh, That's why St. Paul uses those analogies about the body and how important each member of the body is. But um, if the church doesn't get her act together from the local assembly on up through the levels of hierarchy in the different traditions and denominations and start dispersing talent, it's going to have a very difficult time. To be able to say, I don't understand that, and that's okay, is or must be a tremendously freeing thing and is, I think, necessary for all of us to come to that point throughout the course of our lives. Otherwise, you're going to keep butting your head against the wall. Yes, yes. We, we've talked about this, you know, and... Uh, many times it's it's like vocation in in the the Christian endeavor in the Christian church. You know, there's there there are many people who want to be something, and usually they want to be on top of the pyramid, right? Yeah. So I want to be a priest, or I want to be the bishop. I don't want. I would rather be a this and the deacon or that. Or it, it's not a you, you can't smash round pegs in the square holes in the church, nope. right? God gives us a, a charism. God gives us a calling, and it's confirmed in two ways through your praying through it, and by the church herself's affirmation of that calling. It's not you who tell the church, hey, you know what? I should be the bishop. I'm going to be the best bishop ever, right? Look how confident look, I am. Look at me, right. And no, it's it's the church who decides through her collective wisdom whether you have that charism. It's right. not about you. You you can't foist it onto the church. Matter of fact, you're not even being a, a faithful Christian in doing that, right? I, uh, our most important and most profound vocation as a Christian is the fact that we're baptized. 
That alone gives us, equips us with everything we need to share the gospel effectively in the world. Mm. And you don't need titles and all these letters after your name. Um, nobody cares about all the letters after my name. And today, all that's going to cost you is a lot of money that you're never going to be able to pay back. So, um, yeah, humility is, it is invaluable um, virtue, mm-hmm. especially in tech, in technologically driven world. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of humility, I wanted to spend some time reflecting on things that we've improved on or things that we can continue to work on better as a show as we continue to seek to improve in in prayer and in patience. I think for me, and just thinking about where we've come, how we started, conversational rhythm and comfort just the basics, the fundamentals of podcasting. And Josh, you had some great advice for this months ago as we were talking about what you do on YouTube and how we've changed and just the look, the feel, the confidence has changed from our first few episodes to now. There's just a cadence and a comfort to speaking to a microphone and in front of a camera that you can't really pick up on until you've done it for a few months and you have to be comfortable making mistakes and tripping up along the way. And I think it's really cool that we've been able to share this journey with our audience as well, especially for those faithful viewers who have been with us since the very beginning. We're super thankful for you. And I think it hopefully it's just as rewarding for all of them to see our journey and our transformation as we learn to navigate this new medium. Yeah, I, I, I think the evolution, going back and watching the different podcasts, and, and uh, is that uh, who you really are comes out. Yeah. You know, I think we start out with, like we always do, in, in a new job, you bit artificial. You get your plastic suit on, you're almost an automaton, right? Yeah. When you start out. But I think when your personality comes out and this uh, authenticity of who you are, um, people who are drawn to your authenticity and the information you are disseminating are going to continue to uh, tune in. Uh, but I think being real is the most important thing. Even if you disagree with the person, I've always found this in my life. I don't have to agree with you to like you. I like, matter yeah. of fact, I usually like people more who disagree with me than agree, agree with me yeah. <laughs> in life on things. And so I think the ability to laugh at yourself and be authentic is really um mm. So important. But also, I think what's worked well in this format is that y- you do, you host, you, you're, doing your, perf- you ha- you're doing the perfect thing that you should be doing. Right? The, the, not only was this your brainchild, but you're excellent at um, coming up with these outlines, topics, keeping me especially, and then Corey, <laughs> on subject, right? We don't go too far down rabbit holes, and you have a very kind way of dragging us back which behind the oh, scenes of course. i would know meant like hey shut up dude <laughs> yeah. you know so um yeah you, you got to be in the right right role yeah it's it's a challenge it's a good challenge and for me the temptation especially early on is to conduct the show in such a way that makes it flow that makes the conversation genuine but keeps us moving forward 
but fighting the tension between being genuine and letting my personality show through versus trying to present the image in my head of what I think a Christian podcaster should look and sound like. And when you're trying to project an image of yourself, people pick up on that very quickly. And that's what differentiates the popular shows, the successful shows from perhaps the less successful ones is that, um, that genuine nature. Yes. I, I suspect our challenge, your challenge, let's say we have five of us around this table. You get a, you got a, a veteran, a Roman Catholic priest. You got a fundamentalist Baptist who's got 40 years of ministry. Me and you as Anglicans, uh, uh, a classic Calvinist sitting over here. Your role would be immensely more difficult. Oh yeah. And then would those men gathered on this table have enough humility and respect for each other to be able to have sincere conversation and with mutual admiration and affection? Uh, you know, I've been in ministry 25 more years than you. You've already learned that's not very easy, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's not easy, right? So to find a group of men that secure in themselves that after X amount of years in the ministry, they realize they've made mistakes, done lots of good things for the kingdom of God, uh, would have done a lot of things different, but can come back here and gather with brothers in Christ, ultimately it's Jesus that unites us, and share with each other information that would actually mutually build up each other is uh, something that I would want to tune into. I'm not interested in listening to five guys who all think they're smarter than each other and trying to outpoint them each other on some nuance of theology. How many angels couldn't you put on the head of a pen? Right, yeah. Right? I'm not interested in that, right? I, I know I have too much flaws, too many flaws. <laughs> yeah. You have heard me say a million times, despite all my, quote, success and academia and different areas, the only thing I've ever cocked in life is loafing and sinning. Yeah, yeah. Right? The two things that I'm best at. <laughs> the, the two things I'm yeah. best at, so... Everything else is is just God's grace, and uh, not everybody's comfy with a personality like that. No, right, and and I that's been true in my ministry. I'm like he's he's too real at times, and if I'm gonna if I'm gonna air, I'll air to that side mm. as opposed to this self righteous side. Yeah, the other thing that's been the best and the best surprising is how Josh just loves my jokes and he's, he's, he's like, he, he's writing a compendium of all of them. Yeah. You're the first yeah. person to laugh at his jokes. Yeah. yeah. So J- Josh, <laughs> I love you, the man. Good work, man. You. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man. So what can we get better at? I think really just continuing to grow in the fundamentals. I see room for improvement. Microphone technique kind of jumps out the most at me. I think that was probably something we had the least experience with. And obviously until until by God's grace, if he sees it fit to bless us with a permanent studio, it's going to be hard to get the perfect microphone set up. But you've been doing a fine job today. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm getting better. I'm, you're getting better. I've been getting better, too. If you well, go you've back always, to you've those, always been better than me. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's all relative yeah. to our own skill level, I suppose. You go. But if you listen to those early IQ, episodes, I think. <laughs> you realize how sensitive the microphone is and trying to adjust the gain just right. right. So if you're over here versus up really close to the microphone, yeah. it, you realize how sensitive 
it is, especially when you're listening for that sort of thing. Right. So. Yeah, I noticed that listening to myself. Uh, I'm the one whose voice trails on and off because my head's bobbing around. So, but you've you've got good reasons. Yeah, well, for that. You've I, got the I, spirit of Stevie Wonder yeah, inside I guess, you. I guess so. Yeah. Um, speaking of venues, I've, next time we record, we won't be in this venue. That's right. Yeah, so say goodbye to the brick wall for those of you who have enjoyed listening. I think we found a good substitute and we'll make it work. So I'm I'm optimistic about what we'll be able to do there. And um, Until we have our multi-billion dollar studio. Yes, it's only a matter of time at this point. If any of you millionaires or billionaires are listening. We well, I just added up with J- Joshua's tithe coming to us directly. We'll be able to do it in like two and a half years. So that's pretty cool. We're, yeah, we're, You're a generous we're, dude. We're in good Genuine. shape. We're in good <laughs> generous shape. dude. So really the last question here then for us is what's next. We've completed a year of lively faith looking ahead at the year to come. I think it's best to start with our purpose. I recently refined what I would call our tagline, just distilling down who we are for the audience. Lively faith is frank conversations about living and defending the Christian faith, the Christian worldview. And as we just talked about, I felt called to start this ministry as the most effective, efficient use of time and talents at this stage in my life. I just wanted to be a good steward of that. I knew that this was a medium that was ripe for being used and for being fruitful. And we, as a church and as Christians in the state, really need to take advantage of that. So as I've reflected on getting started and as we've moved through the first few episodes, I've called to mind a quote. I think I think it's from Jordan Peterson, something that he said before to paraphrase that if something is truly worth doing, then it's worth the risk of doing it imperfectly. Yes. I think another way to put that is not to let the perfect get in the way of the good enough, which we always want to strive to be the best iteration of what we can be. But very early on, it was easy to get caught up in the temptation of, well, everything has to be just right before we get this show started or no one's going to listen or no one's going to want to tune in. And we just have to push through that, that, you know, we're going to make those mistakes and we have to rely on the charity and the grace of our listeners to understand that. But on the other side of that coin, like we were just saying, I think the journey makes it that much more endearing. And I've heard, heard that about other shows online as well, that I think it goes back to whether or not you come across as being fake or just being a genuine version of yourself right. to invite your audience and your listeners into your conversations. Yeah. I, I like what you, what you said about Peterson. You know, s- style is never more important than the message. Yeah. We live in a world where people are just facsimiles of themselves, right? Because they're, they're so interested in, so con- self-consumed with style that authenticity never comes out, right? And so it, it seems to me with a... No, this has been a decent, but if we were in a shed, if, if our audience is seeking, you know, men of God genuinely seeking to share the truth with them, they're going to listen to it. If, if it's even in the, literally if we're in a shed, 
right? Yeah. So, and I think style, you know, obviously you want to... It'd have to be a good shed. It would be a good shed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. An Amish-built shed. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. an Amish-built shed would be nicer <laughs> than this place. Yes. Nicer than my apartment, for sure. But, I mean, you, you think about it. I think and it's a disease that's affected the church, especially in the free church. It's so much... It becomes so much about style, mm. right? So, you know, and I, and I, don't, I don't want to pick on... I don't want to be pejorative here. We're just trying to make an example. So, you know, the past with the ripped jeans sitting on his, on his stool uh, is, is a passing fad, right? Yeah. But clearly you, you've been enamored by style, as if it's the style that's going to make the message more efficacious. And that's simply not true. Mm. John Henry Newman, who's one of the greatest saints of... Uh, famous, the most famous convert from Anglicanism to mm -hmm. Roman Catholicism, converted in 1845, died in 1890, became a cardinal before he died. But uh, in many ways, he's the father of, of the thinking that led up to Vatican II in Catholic thought. Um, his, his sermons are renowned. They're written out sermons, right? And we have hundreds and hundreds from his Anglican days and Catholic days. But almost to the person, anybody who ever listened, was present when John Henry Newman preached, it was the most boring thing in the history of the mm. human race. He read his sermons. He was not charismatic. There was barely a, an inflection in his voice, right? It was all about the message, right? Now, history, we're removed from style because yeah. John Henry Newman, you know, died 135 years ago. Um, but it's his message that is endured, not his style. Hmm. It's his message. And in, in the Christian ministry, in, in the gospel, the kerygma of the gospel, it's the message that's going to endure. Isaiah tells us, right? It's going to, it's going to last forever. Yes. And so getting caught up in style is the wrong thing. For We, we take advantage of, of modern technology and so forth, but we're not here to be celebrities or stars or, in fact, all of our flames will burn for a while and then they will go out. It's true. And they will be replaced by something else. But the message will stay the same. So uh, I think that's one thing I see. The other thing is, is you have to be bold, bold about the truth. Whatever personality you bring, um, you have to be bold. The truth cannot change. God's word cannot change. God is immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if any podcast, any communicator of the gospel is going to succeed to change one soul, it's because they're bold. And so boldness comes out. Now, it has to come out in a form of charity that's not compromising, but it is attractive. Yeah. Right? And it's not an easy task, right? You know I spoke uh, in the last week at an event that, that was charged i was asked to do the invocation and in fact my son dono when he found out i was speaking at this he goes why do they pick you and i said why do you think they picked me he goes because there's nobody else who would have possibly done, done that <laughs> right and and quite frankly i can't think of anybody on the other side of the table who would have done it no way and um but you know it is what are you afraid of you know, if you're afraid of public opinion and the whole row of protesters were calling me a fascist before I get in the building, then you're not going to be bold for the gospel. 
and that, that's just the reality of where we're living. The world's, the world's hatred of the gospel is not going to lessen. No. It's just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. So we need more Semper Fi. We need more good men who are going to be faithful, right? And um, we have to be bold to say that. And, and those men who perhaps from listening to you or I or others that may join us around this table in time, uh, hopefully we can inspire those who have that much courage that they want to be God's man. Um, we have to be bold. We have to be very, very bold. Yeah, that's really well said. And the people watching us want us to be bold. Yeah, Otherwise, not, they would not be watching us. People don't seek out timid people to watch. No. There's, no. there's nothing appealing about that. No. Well, I think the thing that I'm always constantly telling myself as we go through producing these episodes is that surely God can use my manure to fertilize and grow a beautiful garden. <laughs> He's proven that time and time yes, again. Yes. It's true of all of us. It's a good way to see ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all about that perspective and right. humility. So as we wrap up, I want to just finish by revisiting the vision that I cast forth at the very start of Lively Faith and looking at how that will guide us going forward, how God will use our vision, rather, to guide us going forward. And as I've reflected on it, it really has several elements. It's really refined as we've continued to meet. First and foremost, we want to spread the gospel to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to help people find deeper meaning in their daily lives, hence the name Lively Faith, which we discussed in great depth in our first episode the second is to have the spiritual conversations that few others are having, if any, and learn about topics of importance to the Christian worldview. And that's part of where that boldness comes in. Third, I want to expose listeners to the truth and beauty of the great liturgical tradition of the church. And that, again, plays into that unique perspective that we have compared to all the other voices that are out there where we're not just sitting here talking about our opinions. We are simply reiterating what the church universal has affirmed for millennia. And then lastly, fourth, I want us to be a resource to the faithful, especially in Rhode Island, as we navigate what I would say, and I'm sure you would agree, is a most turbulent and disorienting time in church history as Christians living in a decaying post-Christian Western civilization. And I'll take that moment to pause and say, if you're listening at this point in the episode, please take the time to click the link and sign up for our email list. That'll be the most effective way for us to stay in touch as this ministry continues to grow and evolve. So I guess to sum that all up, the vision is fourfold, and really at this point, it's moving forward in prayer and discernment. I, I, I don't think you can overemphasize what you just said, and I think our sisters and brothers listening, if they even fully grasp it, it, it's every day sinking in deeper and deeper, is that 
We are in a crisis and turmoil unprecedented in the church since the Reformation. And in many ways, it far exceeds the Reformation. Reformation was about you know, ultimately, uh, really ultimately a disagreement about the authority of word of God and the role of sacraments. We're in a time where people on both sides of the Tiber and every Protestant tradition can't even decide what Christian anthropology is yeah. and whether God's real. I mean, it's vastly more evil. It's vastly more complicated. It's vastly more uh, infiltrated by every element of the world. Right, so you'd have to go back in history, like the Arian controversy, yeah, in the third century about whether Jesus was truly divine, one substance with the Father. It took the Church really four hundred years to get through that, and then the next was um, the fall of the Roman Empire, right, right, which we we're probably not far from. We're within a couple hundred years of that in the West ourselves, right? The American Empire will not last. Americans, take, they, they don't believe that. I think it's going to last forever. Yeah. Right? And, and when the empire fell, only one thing kept civilization alive. Which was the church. It was the church. The church kept everything alive. It kept education alive. It kept language alive. It kept the understanding that loving a neighbor was, was a, a natural truth. And eventually, out of the collapse of... The Middle Ages, Dark Ages, the Renaissance came, right? Education, all the things we've talked about that were birthed by the church, not by governments. Education, jurisprudence, freedom, equal rights, the role of right? women having rights in society. It all comes from Mother Church. It's just like Jefferson said, right? Our inalienable rights don't come from the government. They come from the creator. And so it's this constant... Uh, so you, you had that, and then the Reformation, and then... But what's going on today is just, there's nothing like it that's ever existed in the turmoil in the church. Nothing. To, to distill it down, I think what makes our moment in time unique is that the church is struggling and grappling with issues that are so basic and fundamental to natural law, to what it means to be a human being, and the building blocks of Christianity that have always just been taken for granted or the church has been in widespread agreement on and has allowed it to continue to exist in strength as an institution um, throughout the ages. So I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, and obviously... However long in God's providence this podcast goes, those issues will dominate um, what we talk about over the next year, two years, and so forth. And so when, in, in the ensuing months, we'll be talking about what's going to be taking place in Rome, the synod and synodality on the Roman Catholic side, which is going to have massive consequences. And that's an understatement. I can't even come up with a big enough word. Uh, the consequences that will come out of that. And uh, so it's just, um, yeah, I just pray there's other, there's men of other, the other traditions that are like our friend at Pints and Aquinas, you know, we, we need, we need an eclectic orthodox voice yeah. across the board that, that just sticks to basic anthropological truth. 
that would be a tremendous gift uh, to the, the cyber church, if you mm. will. Uh, mm. But yeah, we were in, we're in unprecedented times, unprecedented times, and so we just act about all the changes that happened just in a year of us doing this. God only knows what we're going to, going to happen in the next. God only knows. So as we close, I want to tie us back to Scripture here. A couple verses come to mind. The first <coughs> is, excuse me. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, a gospel passage I preached a sermon on earlier in the season of Pentecost where St. Peter is talking to Jesus, and Jesus, um, Jesus says to Peter, he gives, him, he gives him the keys, he says, you are Peter, Kepa, on this rock, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's an encouragement we need to keep ever present in our minds. But the interesting, the interesting angle to consider that verse, that phrase, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, I think I picked this up from like a Father Mike Schmidt's podcast, is think about Think about gates. When we think about the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, and you compare it to our emotional and visible reality within current events in the world, does it look like the church is on the attack or on the defense? It feels like the church is on the defense, oh. right? It feels like we're losing. But when you look at that verse and what Jesus says, that the gates of hell will not prevail it's against actually, it. I would say it's actually accommodating it's, as opposed to even defending. Right, but, right. but the encouragement is, and, and this is the point that I made in the sermon, gates, are gates an offensive or a defensive tool? Defense. Gates are defensive. Nobody is going to, you're not picking up a gate and running around and whacking people with it. So even though things look bleak, Ultimately, the spiritual warfare we're seeing is because the legions of angels, the church of Christ, is on the offensive, and Christ is ultimately the victor over the forces of evil and darkness. And logically speaking, when you are overcoming the gates of the enemy, the enemy is going to fight more and more intensely in order to push you back, and so the gates of hell will not prevail. That's right. Well, it's, um, I was given a, this in plaque form when I was ordained. This is true of you. Melchizedek's priesthood lasts for how long? Eternity. It's forever. You're, you are a priest forever. Mm. You as an individual, a priesthood of believers, but you as a person, individual, your priesthood isn't going to end. And so the, the devil can't prevail against you. Only one way the devil can prevail against you or any other baptized believer, if you let him. If you let him, absolutely. Otherwise, he has no power over you. Only if you let him have power over you. That's exactly right. And that is um, not held close enough to the heart by most believers. Yeah. Right. They're, they're always looking for a superhero to come rescue them yeah. from behind the bushes. Right. They're going to fix all this and make it because after all, church is supposed to be comfortable, right? Comfortable and easy. And easy, correct. Just everything the way I like it. And yes. The way never it disagree with my opinions. Yes, the way it used to be, as if the church was not always in a state of change. Yeah. It's always has been. It's always been a state of adjustment. 
to coach for reality and everything else. But um, but when you when you have that myopic of a view of what church is, you're not going to be a very effective disciple, are you? So you're right. I mean, that's awesome. You know, Matthew 16 should be known and read by every Christian, yeah. especially at this time in history. Yeah. And then the last verse that I want to leave us with as we wrap up, Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21, no. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So thank you as always, thank you, Mark, brother. for participating in these conversations. Thank you, Josh, for our, being our fearless producer here. And of course, our thanks to our brother, Corey, who couldn't make it today, but couldn't do it without him either. And of course, all thanks and glory be to God. And thank you to our listeners who have been with us through this first year of Lively Faith. And we look forward, God willing, to a great year of Lively Faith to come. Yes. Blessings in the new year that'll be ahead. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. God bless. We look forward to seeing you again next time.